The feel knots. Number 138. The one where we dance between half teffers. The feel knots podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Promise Keepers out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The, the, the Theo Knights! Were you ever a part of Promise Keepers? No, I was not. You weren't? Were you? you? Part of the, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a kid. My dad was big into it, and he dragged me to all the meetings. Kate, uh, Kansas City. So you're a PK in two different ways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we w- I went to the Million Man March in D.C. the first time I'd ever been to uh, Washington. Were there DC. a million men there? Uh, yeah, they were well over, I think. Wow. It was pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. We saw the president. It was Clinton at this time. Yeah. President Clinton fly over in his uh, chopper. <laughs> get to the chopper. Yeah. And then we, you know, we spot out like, oh, man, that was so fun. Spot out like uh, snipers on the roof of the White House. And <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty awesome. Well, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I used to like, I had some promise keepers. Uh, literature, you oh, know, yeah. stuff like that. But I, I, yeah, I was never actually. I like Tony Evans a lot. The guy's yeah, pretty epic. He's yeah. a great speaker. Who was that we were talking about the other day? Became a Christian during the whole Promise Keepers thing. Hmm. Um, oh, it was somebody from Super Summer. It was so weird. Oh, all right. Anyway, all right. So, what about Super Summer? Oh, it was awesome. So, have you recovered yet? It was super. <laughs> It was super summer. <laughs> it was super. No, it was great. Uh, yeah, I've recovered. And, you, and you're well, still wearing actually. green. I, you know what? That's all I have now in my closet. <laughs> I went out and bought a whole bunch of green stuff. But green goes well with my eyes. So it's, uh, <laughs> that's what my wife says, anyways. Awesome. It's early. It's Can a, you tell? It's, it's early. It's, I'm like, I'm a, yeah, it's like a Ninja Turtle thing. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, you know, everybody looks better in green. Yeah, you would like uh, Jesse's swimming outfit. Is it Ninja Turtles? Yeah, it's a Ninja outfit. Turtles. That's epic. <laughs> That's awesome. I got to go swimming with Jeff Jesse now. We can talk turtles. It's the Theo Nuts. <laughs> He's so awesome. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, Super Summer The Theo Nuts. <laughs> we, uh, you know, dove deep into God's word. We talked about the mystery of the gospel, which <clears throat> yes. is what we're going to talk about today a little bit. And that was kind of cool um, because I started this study before I knew that that was what mm-hmm. uh, you guys were doing. And then whatever you said that you know the topic was the mystery of the gospel, I kept thinking, oh, I wonder if it's going to be... I was pretty sure it's a little different vein yeah. of what I'm doing. But Well, their whole focus was they used that tagline of the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, but their real focus wasn't so much on the mystery, which I was kind of mummed at, because I really wanted to focus on the the mystery. And from my reading of Ephesians, 
nakedly, the mystery is that God accepts Gentiles. Mm. That's the mystery, right? Yeah. Um, and then you in can the go church. In, in the church, yeah. yeah. And we'll go into more detail with that. But they were really way more focused on the first part of that, or the second part of that verse, which is making it known. Oh, uh, okay. In other words, right, right. spreading the gospel. So in other words, it was a discipleship thing. Yes. Which is a, what you expected anyway. Yeah, all, all about, the, yeah, the Super Summer exists to teach kids the gospel and equip them to go out and share the gospel. Yeah. And so that's the main focus of it. And it, it was really, it was good. And they, they focused a lot on relational evangelism, which mm-hmm. is, I, I'm a big proponent of. Yeah, me too. Rather than the cold call crap. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. <laughs> well, the bottom line is, and we put labels on it, like, you know, relational, non-relational, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, like we're going through this multiply book right. uh, in our life group. And it's it, like the very first chapter is, you know, following Jesus. And right. that's, you know, the charity that we that we have, Footprints of Charity. That's the re- that's how it got the name. I mean, we're footprints of, right. we're following footprints. We're walk, walking in the steps. So this, this whole concept of following Jesus is so important. And it's like, how did Jesus evangelize? Yeah. Like, you know, it was relational. Right. Like even his sermons weren't cold sermons. They were people that he fed and he, I mean, I mean the people came to hear him speak because he had a relationship with them right. and he was out there doing things. Right. So. And, you know, and I see both, both in, I think that discipleship, we split up discipleship and evangelism when the Bible doesn't do that. Correct. Um, like, uh, I was looking at the, uh, the Great Commission because of our Bible set, our life mm-hmm. groups that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's three commands there. There's go, uh, baptize, baptize, and then teach. Yeah. And so we'd split up, baptize, okay, that's that's evangelism, teach, mm-hmm. that's discipleship. But the reality is, is all all it's all the same thing. It's yeah. it's it's the same job description. Exactly. <laughs> it's like they're it's, not divided up into into little categories. Right. Yeah. Right. And the same way, you know, like when you talk to these uh these these groups that do uh, ch- you know, charitable organizations. Well, I'm a b- benevolent yeah. organization. No, I'm an ev- evangelical. No, you're a Christian, right? Like, go be Christians, right? Which is benevolence and evangelism and discipleship and and exactly. You, know, <laughs> you can't just you know put a label on it and put yourself in a box. Word. I agree. So, <coughs> anyways, um, oh, next week, yes. You and I both are going to be in Durango, Colorado. Durango, Colorado. Hey, maybe we ought to do a a, a a podcast from Durango. We could do that. We could from the mountaintop. From the mountaintop. <laughs> Talk about mountaintop experiences in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, top it, ten mountaintop. It could experiences. be psalmic, you know, in Psalm. nature. We could just read <laughs> psalms. Have somebody playing the lute behind us. <laughs> <laughs> totally. If I can find someone that can, that can play the lute and the hammered dulcimer. The hammered dulcimer. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have one of those. So bummed. Oh, man. It was handcrafted for me and it, it broke busted in a move. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sad day. Wow. Oh, well. All right. We ready to dive in? Bring it on, man. Okay, so this is again 
we've gotten into the habit of doing this. It's like you and I are either speaking at our church, you know, whatever, and we've got all these <laughs> notes, and it's like, let's do a theonauts on this. Right. <laughs> so this is another one of those sermons. Which is kind of bad for uh, for our locals here, because right. they get they inundated. Get double dose. It's like, oh, the theonauts is just another recap of the sermon. sermon yeah. <laughs> How boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's God's word, man. Uh, <laughs> Again? Diving deeper into that subject I learned on Sunday. <laughs> Can't believe it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, this this particular study was, uh, and I stole like almost all of this. So, I mean, but that's the way we do. That's the way we roll. So, who'd you steal it from? Uh, I think this was Tim Keller. Oh, uh, Keller. A lot good. of a lot of this came from. He's a good man. So yeah, um, and this is, well, I say Tim. It was Tim Keller and Chuck Missler because you know I've been a Chuck Missler fan from way back in the day. Sure, and. Uh, and I guess the thing that that Chuck Missler always did that that I gravitated to was that deep study. Like, let's not just talk about what's on the surface. Let's talk about what's behind the curtain here. Right. And this study falls into that in uh, in a way because it deals with covenants. And even though even though our Christian life is um, is we are in covenant, and we use the word covenant from a Christian standpoint a lot, but it's not really a word we even really use in our daily life anymore. Right. I mean, because we uh, we just think of covenants as, oh, that's just another fancy word for vow or promise Contract. or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's a little more that, or we'll say the new covenant and the old covenant, like we just throw those terms around. Yep. And if you were to ask, okay, what is the definition of an old covenant and the new covenant? You'd probably get the deer in the headlights look. Well, isn't that the Old Testament? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, uh, so I guess uh, there is a mystery around it. And so it's kind of this this whole thing. We're going to talk a little bit about mystery, um, the mystery of the of the covenant that is made um, with Abraham. But the part of of the of the whole thing is like coming to a point where we may realize that in American, the modern American church, a lot of this is still a mystery. Like there's still parts of this people don't That's get. That's right. And it's, uh, it's like the mystery hasn't quite been revealed to them. And so as a result, they misunderstand Christianity or they use it wrong, you know, and they're applying it incorrectly. And uh, and I think a lot <laughs> of it is, is not so much, they haven't been, hasn't been revealed it just hasn't been made practical in their life and also um been explained Mm -hmm. the mystery hasn't been explained to them what what this means right and and, so much because 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 the revelation i mean again on a surface level is law and grace Mm -hmm. right and freedom from the law right um or even even going even more on a surface level, uh, Gentiles and everybody is invited into mm. a relationship with God versus just, just a certain right, type just, of person. Yeah. So <clears throat> people get that, but they don't get why, or they don't they don't see the yeah they don't see the um, <clears throat> the actual what the covenant meant and right. that sort of thing. And yeah. so um, and so that's why I thought it was important to to talk about this. Uh, the bulk of the study is going to come from a conversation that Moses has at the end of his walk 
um, in Deuteronomy 29. So Deuteronomy is okay. is the last, um, like it's it's the the last part of Moses's walk. He's he right before he goes into right before the children of Israel go into the land. Uh, he's he gives them all these sermons and stuff, and uh, one of them is in Deuteronomy. And um, chapter 29. 29, yeah. Do you have an, an like an easy to read translation? Because some of this is kind of wordy. Okay, so I have the ESV, but I can switch to. How about the Holman? Yeah, either one of those would be good, I guess. Um, so in Deuteronomy 29, let's start with verse 2 through 4. Okay. All right, it says Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You've seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all of his officials. And his entire land, you saw with your own eyes the great trials and those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes and your sandals and your feet did not wear out. You did not eat bread or drink wine or beer so that you might know that I am Yahweh, your God. When you reach this place, where am I stopping at? That's 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 fine because okay. I, I mainly wanted to get to, to to verse four. Okay. Because these are the people he's already in covenant with, like like this is hundreds of years right. after the bulk of what we're going to be talking about. So um, he and he's basically saying, "Look, you guys have seen great miracles from God. Like you've seen all this stuff." really happen. It's practical. You should be getting it. Right. But he says there in verse four, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands. You don't really understand what you see with your eyes or hear with your ears. And I think like even in modern times, we might be in the same situation. We've been a Christian We've and we are saved and we have all this uh, fundamental you know, uh, we're in practice. We're already, but have our eyes truly been open to what is really happening? And because that's where, dude, that's where the magic happens. Like that's where you go from, uh, you know, point A to point Z. Like, I mean, it just goes wham. And all of a sudden things like that moment when everything becomes clear, there's no way to put a, uh, a, um, there's no way to really put that into words whenever that happens. And I distinctly remember when that happened for me. Like I was a, I was a Christian and I was doing my thing and I believe I was saved. And I, I mean, all this because I had faith and I had the, but there was a moment when it all became clear. And then I went to being a Christian to living it. Like it was every breath I took was about this. Sure. And um, and so I think that's kind of what he's saying to them here. <clears throat> he's not saying, hey, you know, God's been withholding you from uh, being his people or anything like that. What he's saying is you've not grasped the magnitude and the supernatural side of what's happened here. Of what is going on with you and God. Right. And, and you're about to step into this land that is part of this great promise. So let's jump down to um, uh, verses 9 through 18. 
It says, therefore, observe the words of this covenant and follow them, so that you will succeed in everything you do. All of you are standing today before the Lord your God, your leaders, tribes, elders, officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and all the foreigners in your camps who cut your wood and draw your water, so that you may enter into the covenant of the Lord your God, which he is making with you today, so that you may enter into his oath, and so that he may establish you today as his people, and he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where am I going? Through 18. Okay. I am making this covenant and this oath not only with you, but also with those who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not here today. Indeed, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and passed through the nations where you traveled. You saw their detestable images and idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. Be sure that there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go to worship the gods of those nations. Be sure that there is not no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Okay. So there's all kinds of unique things happening in here. <clears throat> and he makes all these statements about this covenant. And it's almost like, what are you talking about, Moses? You know, I mean, he, he says, today you're going to enter into this covenant. They were already in it, but they were about to enter into the land. Like, mm. And the land is part of the, right. the, the co- covenant. So when you think about what is a covenant, uh, there are some things in here that kind of give us um, an indication as to what a uh, covenant is. First off, um, in verse uh, 12 through 13, it says, You are all here to enter into an agreement and a promise with the Lord your God, an agreement that the Lord your God is making with you today. This will make you today His people. He will be your God, as He told you and as He promised to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, first I want to notice the amount of personal possessive pronouns involved. So... Whenever there's this covenant involved, there is ownership involved, right? Like, right. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Your God. This is very personal. So if I say, um, you know, my Kevin, my Mandy, those those are they are my not much my son and daughter. So when I say that. It has weight, like you know that there is ownership there. That I claim them, right? It, not you know from a, uh, not from you know a dictatorial type of standpoint, but from a, a loving standpoint. They they belong with me. They yeah. like they belong to me in my heart and that sort of thing. It's like when you're walking on the <clears throat> playground, you see all those children, but those two are yours. Yes, you know what I mean. Those are the ones that you claim. Those are the ones you're responsible for if anything happens. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and, it, and it's the other way. My dad. Right. It's like, it's not just a dad. He's not, you know, I'm not just another guy. I am their dad. Right. Like, they, they claim me. They take ownership of it. And it's, and it's so funny. It's so beautiful to see the faith of a child because, you know, how many times has a little kid come up to you that you don't even know and go, where's my mom? Right. Or, you and know, you just, and you're like, I don't know, I honey, no who's your mom? Right. I don't know. She's my mom. Like, 
that's all that they know is that possessive right. relationship. They don't realize that you don't get it. Right. <laughs> and, which is so cool. You're not in that covenant. Yeah, <laughs> but they are. And yeah. so this is a part of what, co- what makes covenant a covenant is there's this is more than just shake hands and agree on something. This is about a, a lifelong possessive relationship. Right. Uh, then you have this other thing that he said in that same verse where he says, today you will enter into an agreement and this promise. And all of a sudden we went from, from possessive and very loving and all this to all of a sudden making it sound legal. Right. Right. Like there's an agreement that's about to be made, a serious oath that will be made here. And God will, will bring you the, promise he made to you like sure. like there's all this this oath in there so there's this this language of legality in in there it's like the stunning blend of law and love combined in one in one big uh commitment and so um it's a personal loving relationship made more personal and loving because it's legal so like Again, going to a father-daughter, father-son type of relationship, you know, if that child is living in my house, they can't just leave and go, you're not my dad anymore. Like, they have to go get emancipated by law in order to divorce themselves from me. Right. Like, there's, they can't just do it. You can't just walk away. There's a legality involved. Sure. And so, once again, same type of thing. The problem is, today... We don't really get in these type of rela- relationships too often. Like the ones that come natural, like the child-parent relationship, we kind of get that. And marriage is a covenant relationship. However, even the marriage relationship, we've dumbed down a lot. We prefer, in the modern-day world, consumer relationships. Huh. Okay, uh, now, consumer relationship is different than the covenant relationship. Right. So a consumer relationship is like the the same relationship I have with my barber or my car mechanic or right. I mean, hopefully you have a good consumer relationship with your barber. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, okay. So if you don't provide me what you've promised me, like if you don't fulfill your side of this covenant, then you know what? I'm out of here. Right. I'm going to the mechanic down the street who will at the price he promised. I mean, we we hold the other person accountable for their end of the bargain. For their end of the bargain, but we really don't have much of a you know, a, a leg up in it. We just go, you know, if you don't do what what you are supposed to do to fulfill this relationship, I'll move on. Right. And so, so many times, even marriage becomes that. That's, that's exactly what we do. We both make promises at the altar, and then we want to say, okay, look, if you don't hold up, you made that promise, and we all we focus on the other person. If you don't hold that promise that you made, I will go somewhere else and, and find, and I will, uh, uh, I will get into another consumer relationship with someone who will, right? Right. It, it, but the difference between that and a covenant relationship is a covenant relationship says, I will be what I am supposed to be and what I've promised to be, whether you are or not. Like there is an unconditional side to it. So it's like, uh, that's scary because it only really works well if both parties keep the promise. But their breaking of the promise doesn't alleviate you of, a, of your responsibility. 
Right. So that's that's what uh, the difference between consumer and and, and covenantal uh, relationships. And so that's why covenants are so hard for people to get into uh, because it has this unconditional side to it. Um, so if you look at church, church is also um, covenantal, right? In in many ways. <clears throat> so you hear people say things like, "Well, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a you know." I'm not a religious person, or I'm not a I'm not a Christian, and that's like that's like being oh, I'm a consumer, but I'm not a I'm, I'm not a a covenant really I'm not in a covenant relationship, and even people that that bounce around from church to church looking for a church you know that suits their needs that's once again consumer mentality. Oh yeah, what am I gonna get out of this? Can these guys fulfill my needs instead of it being you know. Uh, Give and take. What can I what can I bring to this relationship? It's what can I get out of it, right? And so once again, those relationships are really meant to be covenantal. They're not meant to be consumer relationships. And what's really sad is we're surrounded <laughs> by this consumerism and this consumer relationship mentality in America. You know, my grandfather's uh, a Chevy man, mm-hmm. right? All his life, he's a Chevy man. He wears a Chevy hat, and that's his thing. And even if they make a bad product, he's still, I mean, because he identifies as a Chevy man. Right. It's going to be a Chevy man, right? Um, We have these phones, and people get in these camps over these phones, like Apple versus Droid, right? Right, right. And it's like, which one provides the best needs, you know? But then you have others who are like, well, I like Apple, but, you know, they're not doing as good as the Droid is now, so I'm going to switch over. So we have this natural feeling of... We can take our business wherever we want to take our business. Right. We can become and wrap our identities around <laughs> these products however we want to wrap our identities. And then there are people that substantially wrap their identities around products. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their, that's their... So it's almost the flip side. Yeah. We're making covenantal relationships where they don't need to where be. Where they don't need to be, <laughs> which is really interesting. Yeah. And even, if you know, get down with the ship. So, yeah, I mean, we're surrounded by this whole idea of, of consumer relationships. So one of the things that that this does if we continue reading the um the, the this passage there's other weird stuff. Okay, so this kind of gives us an idea of what covenant is, but there's also um there's conditions in yeah. a covenant. And there are penalties and rewards in covenants. And so uh like for example, in verse 9 of our reading, what's he say? He says you must be careful to obey everything in this agreement so that you will succeed in everything you do. Hmm. Okay, so it's conditional. In order for you to receive the blessings of the covenant, you must obey the conditions of the the covenant. covenant. If you don't obey the conditions of the covenant, then uh, jump down to verse 18, what does it say? It says, make sure no man, woman, or family member or tribe among you leaves the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those other nations. They would be to you like a plant that grows bitter or poisonous fruit. Now, what? How do you treat poisonous fruit and weeds and and that sort of thing in your garden? You rip it out. You rip really. them out, and and basically that's if you go down into almost every covenant of the Old Testament is the penalty of disobedience, the penalty of apostasy or leaving it is death. Like that's the, yeah. And so you have on one hand, 
these terms and conditions, um, they are met with rewards if, you're, if they're kept, and they are met with penalties, generally of death, if you don't do it. This brings up the mystery in, of the covenant, because if we go through the Bible, uh, you, might, you might read that and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought God was a forgiving God. I thought God was, you know, uh, one of the central mysteries of the Bible is this paradox built under this old covenant. Right. Uh, because on one side, he'll say, I cannot bless a disobedient people. I'm a just judge and I cannot overlook guilt. There's hundreds of statements like this all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Sure. Um, but then you have equally hundreds of statements all throughout Old and New Testament where he says things like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will finish the work that I started with you. Uh, I bless you no matter what. There's all these unconditional blessings that are right. that are, are given out. Um, so this creates in everything a mystery. So the perceivable, unresolvable tension here is the very plot line of the entire Bible. I mean, this is what's so cool about it is like this is the underlying thing because people will fail. We have examples of it all through the It's just going to happen Bible. over and over again. People are going to fail, but the question is, does God accept them anyway? If so, what about their holiness? What about his holiness? Mm. Does he forsake them anyway when they fail? If so, what about his faithfulness? So there's this pull and tug, and, mm. and it's this uncon- So the question then becomes, is the covenant conditional, or is it unconditional? And, uh, and the Bible almost, almost seems to give contrary statements, which leads people into one camp or another. Just like you were saying with people getting into the Chevy camp or the Ford camp or the Apple camp and the Android camp, you also have camps in the Christian walk. And you're either a, a legalist or there's so much liberty in your life that uh, there's no law. I mean, there's no, no controlling moral standard. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, we're, okay, God's going to love me anyway. I might as well just do anything. And there's no penalty. There's no... You know, uh, that, or it's the other way around. If I don't do this and I get this wrong, God's going God's gonna to punish me or he's going to uh, send me to hell. I'm going to, quote, unquote, lose my salvation or I'm right. going to, you know, or whatever. So you have, like, everyone seems to jump into one of these camps or another. And uh, here's the odd thing. This seeming contradiction is never resolved in the Old Testament. Like, there's, there is all this both... In right. the Old Testament, but it's never resolved in the Old Testament, which that is, by the biblical definition, what a mystery is. A mystery is something that was prior concealed and later revealed. And um, so I heard, like, going back to Chuck Missler, he's got this saying that I have gravitated to, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and right. the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Yes. And so... Um, I love that. Yeah. So, how do we get our heads around this, and how where do we find the answer to all this? Well, okay, so you can look in the Old Testament, and you can see a whole bunch of different examples of, of what you're talking about playing out, right? Mm-hmm. So, Judges is a great picture of this. Mm. When they do inhabit the land. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, you can see them time and time again doing well, being blessed, then forgetting the covenant. And then being 
totally decimated, right? Yeah. And then repenting and remembering the covenant, and God blesses them again. I mean, that's the story of the Israelites over and over yes. and over and over again. Um, and it all comes back to this this section, what we were reading in Deuteronomy 29, where Moses is like, if you remember the covenant, and if you do well to keep it, then then you'll experience blessings. But if you forget it, you know, you'll you'll experience curses. And this goes all the way up till the time of Jesus. I mean, right. this is a... And it's important that it does. Right. Whenever we get to the the revelation of the of the mystery right because it is there to demonstrate to us the penalties of 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 breaking unrighteousness the covenant right. uh, and the blessings of keeping right. the covenant so one of the things that he says here in this passage that's very telling is he says in verse thirteen he says this will uh, this will make you today his people. He will be your God as he told you and as he promised your ancestors, That's the big deal, yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, yeah. the big one I want to focus on is what he's talking about. He's talking about a promise he's made specifically to Abraham. You mean this isn't the first time the covenant's been made? <laughs> what? 200 some odd years before there was even an old law, oh, there was a covenant yes. that was made. Yes. That's good. <laughs> so if we go to um, Genesis 15, we get, actually it starts earlier, but uh, we don't have a, a lot of time to go through it, to read it all. But okay. Uh, okay, so basically God makes this covenant with Abraham, yes. and, the, and God's promises to him are kind of like this. I will bless everyone who blesses you. I will curse everyone who curses you. I will give you a son, and your son is going to be the father of nations, and uh, there's going to be blessings to the entire world that come from a descendant of yours. Of yours, Like, that's the promise, and that's what creates the nation of Israel is because of this, this promise that is made. And, uh, and in, included was a more physical or monetary side, which is you'll receive this land as a token inheritance, yeah. of, of this promise. Like this is, the land is going to be the symbolizing the physical side of this oath so that you can grasp it, so that you can remember right. it. And so, and so um, there's all this that goes on. And obviously it's really hard to get your head around, if you're Abraham, it's hard to get your head around Wait a minute, I'm 90 years old, dude, and I don't have any kids. My wife is barren, and and what do you mean I'm going to be the father of nations, and I'm going to have, like he says, your descendants will be as the sands on the shore. And it's like, uh, wow, how is that even possible? And so it's hard to get your head around that. And then it even gets more obscure whenever he starts talking about how the whole world will be blessed. Because of your descendant, right? Um, so it's real easier. It's easier for him to focus in on the land part because he's living in the land right now, and God says this land will be uh, your inheritance, right, of your people, and uh, and so one of the things that that Abraham does in here, uh, let's see where it is. Let me back up just a little bit. Uh, let's read verse 8 of Genesis 15. Okay. Actually, let's let's read um, 8 through 11. 
But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And he talking, said, about, talking about the land. Yeah. And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut up the birds. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Okay, let's hold up for a second. Okay, so uh, you get this. This is weird to us, right? It's what, very odd what to us. in the world? <laughs> it's like... How do I know you're going to keep your promises? All right, here's the deal. I want you to bring me a heifer and a, <laughs> and a goat and then slice those suckers down the middle and throw them on each side. You know, that's because yeah, that's the normal thing, right? Yeah, that's what it's you It's not bring expect. me a paper and a pen. It's bring me some animals and cut them up. And, like, <laughs> and here's the thing I want to I I take notice of. You notice God doesn't tell him what to do with the animals. No. He just simply says, bring me these animals. And somehow Abraham knows this is what I'm supposed to do with these animals. Oh, could there be something we're missing here? Yes. So there is, and uh, it's hinted at in other places in the scriptures, uh, in Deuteronomy and other places. Mm-hmm. But there is a practice that dates way back to this before then of, um, of covenantal promises and how those covenants were sealed. Right. Now, God has been saying, I am going to make a you're going to enter into this covenant with me. And he says, how am I supposed to know you're going to keep your side of the deal? And he says, bring me the animals. So they know that like in that time, whenever you were a servant and you were going to go serve a master or a Lord of a, of a, of a land or whatever, then you entered into a covenant with them because it was like, how do I know my master is going to provide me right. with food and sustenance and a place to live and all the things that, a servant, because slaves were different back then, uh, they, they, it was an agreement, but how am I supposed to know my Lord and Master will do this? Mm. And the practice was, you get these livestock animals, you split them in half, and you build basically a river of blood between them. Yeah, you dig a trench and you put the halves on either side. And what you would do is the terms of, and conditions of the covenant would then be read as the servant walks through the pieces. So basically what this said was, these animals belong to the master. They're the master's animals. And so that's his part of the... The, the servant's side was, here's my, ter- here's my conditions. In order to r- remain in this covenant with you, I must stay here and I must do this and I must work from nine to five or you know whatever. But he would go through the conditions and the symbol of walking through the blood of those animals was to basically say, if I fail in my side of this bargain, may I be treated like your other animals. May I be divided. divided may half. I be slain and tore to pieces. So it's kind of harsh, right? But it fits in exactly with right. what we've been talking about with covenant. Covenant, it has these conditions. There's this, there's this servant condition the servant condition is you do all these things and you get rewards. You get a house, you get food, you get food, you get uh, money, you get whatever. But the, if you break, if the man side, if the covenant side, I mean the servant side breaks the commands or breaks the covenant, death is the result. Like it's not just you know go find another job. 
it was like, no, this is a lifelong type of deal we're getting into here. If you break the covenant, well, now you'll wait be a treated second. like the animal. So you're using these terms, master and servant. Yes. So in this particular instance here, because God is the one that. Have uh, we gotten that far? No, that's coming up. Okay, sorry, I don't want to ruin that. <laughs> no, you're doing. You're, you're hitting on exactly what I'm about to. Uh, the whole point. Yeah. The whole point is that the servant the is supposed to be making all these promises, right? And Abraham's obviously waiting on that opportunity. Exactly. Like he is, he's keeping the the uh, the birds of prey off of the sacrifice. He's keeping it. Like prepared, but then he falls into this sleep. And as he awakes, what does he see? And of course, you know, we could read through it, but basically what he sees is God himself in human form walking, walking through the covenant, like walking through the animals, and there's smoke hiding him, and there's a torch in his hand. Right. And but Abraham witnesses the Lord doing his part of the deal. And so there's a couple of shocks that happen here. One is the fact that God himself walked through these covenantal, the covenantal sacrifice instead of Abraham. And secondly, that Abraham wasn't even asked to do it. Like Abraham was never, Abraham did nothing right. in this. It was completely uh, all God's practice. Now let's think about some of the shadows and things of that nature that are happening here. One, how does God walk, period, by coming down in some sort of physical form, a form of a man? And as he's doing this, he's walking in the blood of a sacrifice, indicating that if a um, if the servant's side of this is not fulfilled, I will be torn as these animals are, and I will be divided and my blood will be shed in the same way these animals are. Mm. Also, let's notice that darkness came upon the land when this occurred. Right. (laughs) So there's all kinds of echoes into eternity or echoes into the cross. Because that brings us around to fully understand. Abraham had great terror. Yes. Upon him. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So um, if we go into the New Testament and we start reading about, of course, we know uh, that Jesus was basically the embodiment of this. So whenever we failed the man side of the covenant, instead of us being torn as, instead of Abraham and his descendants being torn as animals, the one who walked through the animals was torn. And so, so God himself, in human form, took on the punishment of our failures in the covenant. Well, and hold on. Let's, let's get this out right. And this is something that's very interesting to me and something almost borderline blasphemous. Okay. But it makes sense. Um, God took the servant side of the covenant. Mm-hmm. We took the master side of this covenant, this one. God took the servant side and we took the master side. Hmm. Think about that. In the other covenants, God's taking the master side and we're taking the servant side. 
Yeah. Like the law sign. <clears throat> Do you see that? Yeah. I kind of But in this one we take we take the message. It's almost like God is allowing he is and what is what is God's reward for fulfilling the covenant? Us. Mm-hmm. He ransoms us to himself. Right. So um ownership. Lo- yeah, which was part of <laughs> And exactly. So, in a, in a sense, it's it's a it's a really good uh, analogy of servant uh, be, becoming a servant. Yes. Right. The yeah. last becoming first, the first becoming last. Right. That's who Jesus embodied. That's what he was. <laughs> yes. He was literally taking on. I mean, he was the first, and he literally took on the last. Yes, definitely. I, I just and that's it, a great it, image it's a, to me. It's a great picture. Um, because God does all of it, like He, like He is, He's He is maintaining both ends of the bargain. Exactly. Like That's He's the point. He's maintaining the the Lord's the the Master's promises. Like He's He's maintaining those. Right. But at the same time, He's also maintaining the punishment. Yeah. So He's like He's taking both roles, and Abraham, and hence us as being a part of this covenant. Then. Uh, uh, are fulfilled in it. So you mentioned earlier about part of the mystery is the fact that the Gentiles are involved in this. And a lot of people will hear me say, we're part of this covenant and go, uh-uh, that's Old Testament. That's a Jewish blah, blah, covenant, blah. yeah. But let's go back to uh, what we were reading in Deuteronomy 29. One of the things he said was, you will be my oh, servants yeah. and I will be your master along with the sojourners who are with you that carry your wood and carry your water. You know who he's talking about? Gentiles. Gentiles. Yeah. Even under the Old Testament, the Gentiles were part of the covenant because they uh, were in the camp. So those Gentiles who were in the camp right. were just as covered in this. Well, uh, yeah. anybody else. And what does he say to Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob? He says, and the the last sentence of this covenant is always, and all nations will be blessed yes. by you. Yes. Right? Yeah. And whether that's, you know, not, not all nations, it's not just Israel. Like, yeah, that includes... Every nation. All of us. That's right. And to put the icing on the cake, the Apostle Paul got this in such a great and big, powerful way. It's all in his writings. Yeah. But we've just kind of skimmed over them because, oh, he's just making metaphor. No, he is like, if we go to to Galatians 3, it says there in verse uh, 15, brothers and sisters, let us think in human terms. Even an agreement made between two persons is firm. After the agreement is accepted by both people, no one can stop it or add anything to it. God made promises both to who? Abraham and to his descendant. Descendant singular. God did not say, and to your descendants. That would mean many people, but God said, and to your descendant, that means only one person, and that person is Christ. This is what I mean. God had an agreement with Abraham and promised to keep it. The law, which came 430 years later, cannot change the agreement and so destroy this promise that God made to Abraham. If the law could give us Abraham's blessing, then the promise would not be necessary or the covenant would not be necessary. But that is not possible because God freely gave his blessings to Abraham through the promise that he made. Mm. 
And so uh, and jumping over into uh, Romans 4, he echoes the exact same thing. He's talking about Abraham again, and there's a whole lot we could read about it, but jumping down to verse 13, he says, Abraham and his descendants received the promise that they would get the whole world. He did not receive that promise through the law, but through being, but through being right with God by his faith. Mm-hmm. If people could receive what God promised by following the law, then faith is worthless. And God's promise to Abraham is worthless because the law can only bring God's anger. But if there is no law, there is nothing to disobey. Mm. So basically what he's saying here is this is this is the ultimate blend of law and love. This is like both sides of these camps that have been you know, I can do anything and have complete license and still be accepted, or I can do nothing wrong in order to be accepted. This is the complete blend of that. It's the ultimate blend of law and love. And it's the, the, so the question that we asked before, is the covenant conditional or unconditional? The answer is yes. (laughs) At the cross, Christ fulfilled the conditions of the law, so that love, so that God can love you unconditionally. Right. So there were conditions that were met and they were completely fulfilled. Jesus lived a perfect life and he fulfilled all of the law. He did everything he was supposed to do. We, however, screwed up and he took the punishment for us, just as he promised Abraham. Right. He would. Um, well, it's a it's a it's a God who knows the end of the story, right? <laughs> yes. So the reality is, is he's he's uh you know he made this promise way before he gave us the law because he knew in, in the end that he would cover the law by his by this promise of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he knows what's going to happen. He knows the end of the story, and that's why he's able to promise to Abraham, "Listen, I'm going to take care of you. You know, I'm going to take care of all of you." It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and so the mystery is revealed. Like, the mystery about, okay, is it conditional? Is it unconditional? Is it what, you know, why is he blessing and why is he uh, cursing? Like, uh, the whole thing is resolved in this. Verse 9 of our first initial reading was basically, hey, if you do good, you're going to get the blessings of the reward. Verse 18 was, you do bad, and you're going to basically be killed. Christ fulfilled them both and did both of that. And, and the thing that I find so cool about this concept is when you get this, <laughs> like when you wrap your head around this being a fulfilled covenant and the mystery is completely revealed to you, like you get it, it has a profound effect on you. It produces things in you. It produces, first off, a paradoxical obedience. So what do we mean by that? Like it's... Like, you no longer have this mentality of, okay, well, whatever, God died on the cross so I can do this. That goes away. Right. Like, that, that, that conscience of license to sin goes away because you have to think, wait a minute, that was an important covenant, and the conditions were important to God, and my Savior died because of those conditions, so there's value in them. Mm. There's, there's value in the laws that were, that were set up. And so as a result, what we end up doing is we are trying to be like 
God in such a way, it would, it's not earning anything. It's right. not what we're looking at. We're not looking at like you're earning it, but we, we resist sin like crazy because of our love and our thanksgiving and our, our understanding of how big a deal that really was and how sinful we really are. And we resist sin like crazy, but never experience a sense of condemnation when we fall into it. Mm. So because we know Romans 8 and 1. There is, no, there is no condemnation, or in the Tyndale, there is no damnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and so it produces this obedience with the knowledge that if we fail, we're still in the covenant and we're yeah. still protected. Um, it produces trust, absolute trust and assurance in us. Um, so... Like, what was the question that Abraham asked God that started the whole deal? How, how in the world can you give me this since yeah. I'm childless? <laughs> yeah. How, how do I know? <laughs> yeah. How do I know you're going to keep your promise? Right. And this, because the promise was kept past tense to us, we have that knowledge. We, right. we have the absolute trust that he will keep his promise because he already did. And so it's like... It's such a win-win. I mean, God has designed this plan yeah. in such a beautiful way that for those that 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 really grasp the covenant, man, they're 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 obe- they're obeying out of love instead of out of fear or or uh, uh, afraid of punishment. I mean, they're they're obeying for the right reasons. They're trusting in Him completely. And another thing that it does, it produces is koinonia. Because we start to realize, you know, if these if these promises are important, if the covenant was important, and my sin is a big deal, then accountability is important, and my desire to do good is important, and I can can't do this all by myself. Right. And we need each other, and we start leaning on one another, and we stop being judgmental of one another because it's not about how good you are. Um, in fact, it's you know, it's more like how how good we're not. Mm. Whenever it boils down to it, when we really start looking at at that, um, and then we start seeing the difference between being a consumer Christian or being a covenant mm. Christian, because a consumer Christian comes to church, a covenant Christian joins is the church and is the church. They are they are ecclesia, called out the called out ones. They're participating in this great thing. You yes. know, it's not outside looking in. It's it's an active participant in. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And we become part of this greater thing that we've talked about over the past few episodes of Koinonia, right. of being in fellowship in a intimate and uh, active way that builds, uh, builds the church. Mm. And all these are results of the covenant. It's so cool once we finally grasp it. But, you know, so many times we've gone to church and we've... we've We've henpecked the rules or made it into one thing or another, and, and we're not seeing the picture. We're not seeing the big picture and the promise and the, and the fulfillment of those promises. Mm. Um, uh, I, as a closing, I've got a, um, a portion of the book Miracles by C.S. Lewis that I, I absolutely love this. That one of the things that, uh, that, that Lewis was talking about in the book here was about how sometimes we are going through life pretending in a way 
But then that moment of realization happens, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, it, it's real now. Right. And it becomes like completely eye-opening to us, and we then live on a completely different level with it. And, uh, man, I can relate to it so much because I remember that time in my life whenever that happened, whenever I was a Christian at one point, but then I was a Christian at the next point. <laughs> and, um, and so, anyway, he says here in his book, he says, It is always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry. It's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back, and I would have done so myself if I could and proceed no further with Christianity. An impersonal God, well, that's well and good. A subjective God of beauty and truth and goodness inside our own heads, well, that's better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap into, best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end, of our cord, perhaps approaching us at infinite speed, a hunter, the king, the husband, that is quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion or man's search for God suddenly draw back, supposing we really just found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he actually found us. Mm. So, yeah, C.S. Lewis, man. <laughs> so powerful. So, Praise the Lord for the covenant. Yes, amen. You got some news for us? Yeah, bring it. And now, the news. You've heard of VidAngel, right? You had yes. one of these. Was it a VidAngel you had, or was it no, a... No, uh, I had a precursor to VidAngel. I had um, ClearPlay. ClearPlay, that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, VidAngel was... It's a Mormon-founded movie filtering company. Uh, I think ClearPlay was, too, actually. Yeah, of, of course. Leave it to the Mormons to, <laughs> to rid our uh, movies of cussing and nudity. But, uh, <laughs> and violence, even. Um I don't know if you've heard about all the backlash and the legal stuff oh, that's yeah. been going on I've, with them. Yeah, I've been involved in that type of stuff for or hearing about it for a long <laughs> right. time. Right. So, uh, is it artistic license or is it you know exactly? Whatever. And not only that, but is it uh, you know it's is it does it totally break copyright? Right. To to mess over that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, VidAngel, the Mormon-founded movie filtering company, just announced plans this month to launch a service allowing families to watch customized versions of HBO, Netflix, and Amazon shows and movies at seven ninety nine a month. Uh, imagine Game of Thrones without the nudity. What would it be like? Ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be nothing there, and you'd miss the plot line because yeah, because uh, as one person told me they used sexploitation or no uh what do you call it i forgot the term she used but it's where the uh sex position <laughs> where they where they do expositional dialogue right in those scenes like right. you can't understand the storyline when you cut those scenes out exactly it's almost like they did that by design you know? right yeah, so uh, more than 200,000 fans watched the live video where CEO Neil Harmon declared VidAngel is back and, de uh, 
debuted the app. It's currently available on iOS and Android and uh, slated to be the coming soon to other streaming services or devices. Uh, I I guarantee it's going to be gone within uh, within a couple months. Yeah, these things don't ne- don't ever seem to last all that long because they end up in these legal battles. Right. The Utah-based company with 100,000-plus subscribers and the backing of evangelical groups like Focus on the Family was forced to take down its streaming offerings in January after studios levied lawsuits based on U.S. copyright and encryption regulations. Uh, that was the last big battle they went through. Mm-hmm. And so they're back, and we'll see how long it lasts. But, you know, it, it's a clever idea, mm-hmm. and it's great if you're sensitive to that stuff and, and yeah. you want, and you want uh, you know, you want to watch a clean version of, of your movie. Uh, I had a... Whenever I traveled to Life Action, uh, we had a revivalist that actually he he did it, his own film editing. So he would really, yeah, he would go and he'd get the movies. And it was back with a VHS, right? Yeah, yeah. So he get the movies and then he'd uh, tape them and yeah, tape them and edit out the the content. <laughs> so I, I remember watching with him uh, the Patriot. Yeah, and there were just a couple scenes, like two scenes he edited out. One was the women had low crop tops on their. Yeah, their, you know, yeah. big Victorian style dresses, and he edited that out. Wow! And then the other one was that scene where, like, he's just going to town hacking on that dude, right? <laughs> yeah. And he looks up, and there's blood just coming off his face. And he edited that out too. I always thought it was really interesting that people felt the need. I mean, just don't watch it. If I mean, come on. Um, but it's 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 pretty crazy. Yeah, we used to use that that type of service quite a bit. Sure. Uh, when my kids were little. So, because I, I mainly wanted it to, you know, to I didn't want them to be desensitized, right? To it, you know. So, but uh, yeah, but you know the 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 legal the legal arguments are really kind of interesting when you really think about it, because uh, I know Clearplay they actually got around it pretty easily because what they were doing was they weren't they weren't altering the movie, like at any at way all. you had the DVD. And the DVD didn't change. Like you could put it in, and you could watch it completely uncut, uncensored. Right. But in the but in the ClearPlay player, it would control the playback, and just skip over the content that you desired. You know, you could go through the menu and say, "Yeah, I don't mind a little cussing, but yeah, cut out the nudity." And I mean, you would you could go in and you could like customize. How you wanted it. That's amazing how they could do that. And then what they did was they had the timestamps, and right. so the player would just simply skip over a scene or mute the audio or whatever during those key right. scenes. And uh, so in a way, legally, they had a really good argument. We just provide a player that's no different than the parent sitting there with a remote control, pausing and right. muting and et cetera. We're not changing your You're sold not product. editing your content. Right. Uh, but it still it doesn't hold water in the end of the day, because right? <laughs> because the studios are too powerful and they have too many good lawyers. Yep. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. So we talked earlier about the Bible answer man Hank Hennigraf leaving the Protestant Church. And, yeah. What is up with that? And joining the uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, which is basically. Uh, yeah, the Greek Orthodox Church yeah, is basically yeah. uh, Catholic. Uh, in a new interview, he explains really why, um, and the reason was he was tired of being an evangelical pastor-preneur, he calls it. Okay. Um, he said, where the pastor is like an entrepreneur, branding formulaically 
uh, getting people into seats and becoming had had becoming troubling to me. I decided uh, I was going to explore it. So really, he was tired of the westernized culture with churches, right, right. CEOs of mm-hmm. of churches and everything. Um, and so he decided he'd go check out different ones. And he, he describes his first experience at Eastern Orthodox service. He's like, he says, you open these cathedral doors and suddenly the smell of incense, you hear the bells, you see the icons, it's all foreign to you. So you need some uh, contextualization. And I think for most Protestants, they don't have that. And therefore, sometimes they fear the worst, right? Mm-hmm. So he started doing some research in it. Um and so while he was doing that, people took pictures of him. Gotcha. And thought, oh, man, he's going to, you know, he's left the faith and all that. He said, on April 10th, I came into the office and there were news agencies from all around the world that wanted to talk to me. A picture gone out over the Internet. There were postings that said Hank Hennegraff has walked away from Christian faith and the fallout was dramatic. <laughs> Which he just made his point. Right. About why he was even looking. Exactly. Uh, he he explains that um, there were tons of, he lost like half of his uh, radio stations that carried mm-hmm. his Bible Answer Man, dropped, dropped him. It. Wow. All that stuff. Um, and so he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to become Eastern or Greek Orthodox, and it's not going to change my Christianity right. at all. So they, uh, he he answers, "I am a strong Christian. I, you know, I, um, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in in the cross, and you know, he he hasn't abandoned any of those truths." Um, but he wrote, he uh, he wrote this, and this is why I I've started to fall in love with Hank Hennigraf again. <laughs> He said, while there are many secondary issues, genuine believers will continue to bait this side of eternity. I have and always will champion what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. In essentials, unity. This is quote mm-hmm. yeah. from C.S. Lewis. In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Yeah. I wonder who first said that. I don't know. I've heard it attributed to, of course, it is in mere Christianity, but... Right. Um, I've heard that also attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. No, Augustine. Augustine. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard I, that I too. Wanna, but, man, it's just so powerful and truthful, mm-hmm. you know? Well, so. the the uh, the founders of the Restoration Movement, which later became the Churches of Christ, that was one of their mantras right. as well, which is ironic. Very ironic. Mm-hmm. It's essential as unity? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's exactly the, the, the so-called the Campbellites, the, yeah. the Campbells, were all about unity. Oh that was God. their entire purpose in, in the breakout. Oh, speaking of which, I was on Facebook the other day, and uh, I was on, I'm was i part of this thing called the Reform Pub, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a whole yeah, bunch of Calvinists. So I don't know if you saw this. It's a podcast, right? It's the Reform Reform, Reform podcast, pub, pubcast, yeah, pubcast. But there's a yeah, there's a Facebook mm-hmm. page group, and they, you know, it's like geeks under grace. And uh, so one of the guys posted this uh, drawing. And it was split down the middle. It was two panels, and the first panel was, uh, and it said over two ways of doing worship or your church's worship service. Yeah. And the first side, it showed like speaking in tongues and all this crap and, <laughs> and all this stuff. And it was like, you know, 
the non-biblical way. <laughs> yeah. And then on the other side, it said, or you could do it the New Testament biblical way, and it listed like five different things. Uh-huh. So the first thought I had was, well, this is a Church of Christ thing. What is that doing on here? And I realized that, no, this is actually a an early Reformed like thing. Yeah. And actually, I, I posted on there, I said, this is... This would be COC if you know, mm-hmm. um, because it even talks about the music, right? Right, like all this stuff. And uh, this guy responds back to me with like 50 quotes from early reformers, like 1500 reform- reformers, on how no, this is a reformation thing, this is not a yeah. And he, he did not like the fact that I pulled out CFC uh, on that, <laughs> so uh, wow. it was really interesting <laughs> to me though. But you know, a lot of that stuff is kind of. I don't know, wishy-washy. All right, anyways, uh, Hobby Lobby has to return thousands of ancient smuggled artifacts to Iraq. Have you heard about this? No. I kid you not. Hobby Lobby has this to return. Is this Don Verdeen Thousands two. of ancient <laughs> smuggled artifacts. It's great. On the, okay, so if you go to Relevant Magazine, which is my favorite, and I usually get most of my stories from Relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a picture of Hobby Lobby, and in front of him is uh, Indiana Jones standing there with his bullwhip. <laughs> it's so great. Okay, <clears throat> This is direct from Relevant. I'll just read it. In a story that's one part Indiana Jones, one part Nana's craft day down at the local bingo hall, and every part bananas, Hobby Lobby, the giant arts and crafts retail, an apparent scourge of the global archaeological community, is being forced by the U.S. Justice Department to return thousands of illegally acquired ancient Iraqi artifacts and pay a multi-million dollar fine. Wow. It's a weird case full of more twists and turns. Skull of Goliath isn't in there, right? I don't know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Pontiac Don. <laughs> oh, it's such a great... We need to get some clips yeah, from Don I Verdeen. Yeah, I do. That would actually work really good with I feel like Satan has farted in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so great. They evolved from sea monkeys. You know what a sea, sea monkey, monkey is? is? <laughs> Paramecium. You know what a paramecium is? Yeah. It's a sea, sea monkey. monkey. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the best one is when he's giving his sermon about breakfast cereal. Yeah, okay. Satan. We'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a weird case full of more twists and turns than National Treasure sequel, but here are the basics. The Green family, famed owners of Hobby Lobby, who made headlines a few years ago for protesting the Affordable Care Act's birth control legislation, have a reason for acquiring ancient artifacts. They're behind the Museum of the Bible a new massive nonprofit museum opening in Washington, D.C. later this year full of uh, interactive exhibits, historical Bible-themed items, text, and ancient items from Bible times. Law enforcement officials say Hobby Lobby President Steve Green personally visited the uh, United Arab uh, Emirates. Emirates. What is it, Emirate? That's uh, That's a nation. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the OAE. Wow. It's right over there by Iraq. All right, good to know. Back in 2010, with a consultant to take a look at more than 5,000 artifacts like cineform tablets and ball of clay with ancient seals worth millions of dollars. The deal was apparently arranged by the UAE dealer, uh, two Israeli dealers, and one more Israeli man who is not president for Green's inspection. This is sounding more and more like Don Verdeen. Uh, one of the Israeli <laughs> men allegedly told Green that they had acquired the item legally back in the 60s. 
Even so, Green's consultants advised against the purchase. I would regard the acquisition of any artifact likely from Iraq as carrying considerable risk, that expert told the company in an in-house memo. An estimated 200 to 500,000 objects have been looted from archaeological sites in Iraq since the early 1990s, particularly popular on the market and likely to have been looted are uh, uh, Sindler Seals Siniform Tablets. The expert also warned the Green family that if the tablets did turn out to be smuggled away from archaeological sites, they'd carry a huge fine. Hobby Lobby ended up going <coughs> ahead with the purchase, paying $1.6 million to Ooh. five different people associated with the seven different bank accounts. The artifacts were shipped to the U.S. disguised as tiles and were sent to multiple locations with false invoices. Wow. A statement on Hobby Lobby's website says the company was new to the world of acquiring these items and did not fully appreciate the complexities of acquisitions process. This resulted in some regrettable mistakes. <laughs> the company uh, imprudently relied on dealers and shippers who, in hindsight, did not understand the correct way to document and ship these items. And Green himself also released a statement saying that he should have exercised more oversight and carefully questioned how the acquisitions were handled. Hobby Lobby <laughs> has uh, cooperated with the government throughout the investigation, and with the announcement today, settlement agreement is pleased the matter has been resolved wow oh my god so funny <laughs> how can we get these things in here i got an <laughs> idea we'll ship them as tiles no no we'll ship them we'll and, sh- and, ship them as craft glue. and then and then we were chased by some al-qaeda guys <laughs> al-qaeda guys <laughs> pretty sure i'm pretty sure they were al-qaeda, that, al-qaeda guys they, they wanted it to perform experiments and <laughs> Create super so- soldiers. So awesome. Oh, wow. We got this done. <laughs> the best is that uh, that part where, <laughs> where he brings over the salt statue of uh, Lot's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, with a vegetable garden. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, uh, you got to watch that movie. Yeah. Don Verdine. Okay. It's on Netflix. Yep. A Ten Commandments monument was destroyed the day after installation uh, at an Arkansas capital. Mm. Less than 24 hours after it was put in place, a man drove his car into a Ten Commandments monument uh, (laughs) on the Arkansas capital grounds, destroying it. Evidently, the collision was intentional, and the man was arrested. Supposedly, he was recording himself while he drove. (laughs) We had some concerns just because... This is such a highly charged issue with some people. A spokesman with online security of state office told uh, Arkansas Online. So, yeah, they they put up this statue of the Ten Commandments within 24 hours. Somebody guys running over it. Yep, done. Oh, well. Yeah, it's just crazy. All right. I got a really, and I don't know if this is Pope News or something else. Brothers and sisters. We'll play it as Pope yeah. News. It's super depressing, though. The super pope, depressing. The Pope is not happy. The Pope is very angry at this one. Now. Oh. Vatican cops bust drug-fueled gay orgy at home of Cardinal's aid. Oh, my goodness. Vatican police <laughs> raid a drug-fueled gay sex party what? at an apartment belonging to an aide of the Pope's, Pope Francis's key advisors, according to the New Report. 
uh, new report. The Holy Father is enraged since the home inhabited by Francisco Cardinal Capilano's security uh, belongs to the Vatican's Congregation for Doctrines of Faith, the arm that's charged with tackling clerical sex abuse. <laughs> wow. Yeah, cops raided the apartment in late June after neighbors you can't voiced make concern. This stuff up. That's right. Uh, about multiple people acting strangely while seeming out in and uh, streaming in and out of the residence, newspaper r- reported Wednesday. One once police were inside the apartment, they <clears> said <throat> they found multiple men engaging in rampant drug use and homosexual activity. They then arrested the priest, an aide of one of Pope Francis' key advisors, after taking him to a clinic to detox from drugs he ingested. This is not his first time being arrested. He was up for being a cardinal. He was about to be a cardinal, and he was one of the Pope's chief aides. Wow. It's interesting. It's sad. Depressing. There's a great picture of the Pope, and he's just, he has a scowl. Hmm. No, no, no. It's bad for you. (laughs) I Honestly, again, another reason why they should open up the priesthood to married priests. (laughs) Hey, Pope, if you're listening to the Theonauts, <laughs> do that. Anyways, I don't need, I don't have anything else to comment on that one. I do have today in church history if you want to do that too. Yeah. All you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin, you are thus in the hands of an angry God. Tis nothing but mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. (laughs) was delivered this day, July 8th, 1741. Caused the first great awakening. Wow. Hardcore. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Good. It's a great sermon. It's uh, it's pretty mean. (laughs) (laughs) Stop sitting. Stop it. Guys, you guys. You see, what's it say right here? Jesus says, stop Stop it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. That's all I got. Oh, that's all you got? Yeah. Voicemail. Hey. Really? We have some voicemail. And I got the stinger back. Woohoo! I, I found it. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. Hey, guys. It's Sam Bobo. I hadn't called in a while. Hey, still Bobo. Still listening. Still loving the show. Um, still going through the backlog. I'm actually uh, on episode 103. Uh, what is God's will for my life? I believe is the the title. Oh, that was um, a good one. It got me thinking. I have a friend who, uh, long story short, I asked him you know, some days. Hey, I've called you and you don't answer, but I know that you're you're able to answer your phone. And he told me, he said, "Well, you know, sometimes or most of the time, or even every time, I don't know. Um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said that typically he prays." Uh, Every time he gets a phone call, is it God's will for me to answer this phone call or not? Um, and so sometimes he won't answer because of that. And so I just wanted to ask you guys, what did you think about that? Is that 
in your um, studies excessive? Is that right on with uh, where we should incorporate prayer into every single thing we do? Or is that where do we draw the line and whatnot? Um, but anyways, if you wanted to touch on that, that'd be great. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys and look forward to the next show. <laughs> oh my goodness! How do you, how do you go about this one? <laughs> well. I, I, I don't think the two go hand in hand about no. praying over everything. Like, I mean, I, I believe it's okay to pray for anything, right? Yeah. Okay. But, there but were, <laughs> there's two possibilities here, Mr. Bobo. <laughs> Samwise, my, my buddy. Uh, <laughs> either this guy is super, just like super, super literal in everything he does and spiritually minded, which is great. Wonderful. Or he's he's just trying to come up with any excuse he can not to answer his phone, which <laughs> that's just bad friendship right there. It's terrible. Anyways. I'm sorry, but it was not God's will that I answer <laughs> yes. your phone call well, today. I, well, I was dying in a car. Yeah, what are you well, talking about? Hey, I can't help it. God told me. But <laughs> it, it, uh, well, you said there was two possibilities. I, I think there there could be two other possibilities. Okay. Well, yeah, one of them is the same, but. The other possibility could be, it was God's will that he not talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess when you're looking at the overall... don't answer that phone! (laughs) Don't answer the phone! (laughs) Uh, You know what? Is it God's will for me to eat this cheeseburger? Is it God's will for me to sip this coffee or, you know, slap David in the face? I think if if that's been a while since we did that, that's been a hundred... Epi- that wow, that's been a hundred and thirty something episodes ago, right? No, no, we're on a hundred. Riley, yeah, Riley was with okay, us okay, for sorry, that. Sorry, one. That, that was like thirty something episodes. Yeah, thirty something episodes. So the, which means he's been listening at like break, breakneck speed. Yeah, running through them. That's pretty good, man. But, all right, anyways. So, but uh, I guess I'm, I don't remember exactly what our conclusions were in all of that episode, but I, it seems like I remember it was people overly using the whole. God's will for your life thing. Like they are predetermining what God's will is and is not. And what they're thinking is, is that God has this plan specific and you have to find it second by second thing. And yeah, and you have to find God's God's plan for your life. But the reality is, is God's plan for your life is laid out in scripture. It's going to happen. Well, here's the thing. God is omnipotent and he's omniscient. Yeah. So his will will happen right. whether you answer your phone or not. Right. <laughs> so, it doesn't require you to just... Yeah. You don't have to tap into it. That's not what pray without <laughs> ceasing really means there either. So, uh, yeah, you, you don't have to... Okay, God, do you want me to cross the street? Okay, we're crossing the street. You know, God, God, do you want me to open the door to the coffee shop? Okay, I'm opening the door. You know, there are things that have happened in my life. They're definitely providence. Yeah. And I've seen God's hand in it. Thing is, I didn't have a lot of say in it. Right. When it happened. Almost every time I can, I like the the last trip to Haiti and we ended up having to take the different boat instead of the small boat. I completely believe that was God's work. Sure. Thing is, there was no point where I was asked to make the decision. Right. Right? It was completely... Done outside of my yeah. decision making process. So what? What does God require from you? God requires faithfulness. Faith. Right. That's it. That's it. And uh, and you know just just going with with Him and and being obedient. And that's it. Yeah. So yeah, that's 
Anyways, good to hear from you, Bobo. I love your last name, by the way. <laughs> Bobo. So it's an uh, awesome name. Um, I have another. I have an email. Okay. That came from Alex Segura. So he's one of our patron saints as yes, well. Yes, patron fact, saint. Alex. In fact, he was our our first major patron saint. Awesome. And he is. Uh, he's actually been. Um, v- uh, like very dedicated to us, apparently. He says, uh, this is the first time we've really heard from him. And he says, hello, Theonauts. This is Alex Segura. So this email is well overdue. First off, I want to say thank you for your podcast. You guys helped me get through working night shift and keep my sanity intact since I work often on my own at my own at my job site. Your podcast has been awesome to listen. I have listened to every single episode you guys have put out, and many of them multiple times. Wow. The episode on depression, where David's son, um, where, or where David had his son on to talk about it, is by far my favorite, as I am one that has been dealing with depression and anxiety. Being able to hear the relationship David has with his son and how Jeremiah's friendship with him just comes out just from talking. There's just something special about, I don't know how to really explain what about it just makes me full feel joyful and makes me know that I am not alone in this ordeal and that I do have family and friends around me that care and love me just as you two do to him. Hmm. But your other episodes are not that far behind from being my favorites as well. The Brian Gadawa episodes are so interesting and have sparked my interest in the subjects he covers in his books, and I am working through the Nephilim series currently. Me being an anime lover, as as I read Gadawa's books, I can totally see them being made into anime. <laughs> Maybe an idea you can toss at him next time you guys have him on the show. There is a subject I am very interested in and that you guys haven't covered yet, at least I don't remember you guys covering it. The subject is Christians in the arts. I think it would be an awesome subject. Um, <clears throat> well, I lost my place. Oh, I think it would be an awesome subject you guys could tackle along with Michael and Brendan as they are very involved with the arts. If it is actually possible, I would love to be able to join you guys for that episode and actually get to talk to you guys about it because I think it's something that Christians kind of don't think about the arts or think that anything having to do with arts has to be done with a Christian bend to it. Hmm. This email is getting so long or getting long, so I will cut it short. LOL. Keep up the good work you guys are doing, and I am always looking forward to your next episodes. Alex. Wow. So what do you think about that? That's a great idea for an episode, Alex. I think we ought to put that down on the list. Yes. And uh and do that. Um and sure, we'll have you. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for contributing <laughs> to Patreon. Yeah. By the way, that's a huge, huge blessing. Love to have you. Uh, you know, I was sitting here thinking, uh, and I don't know if I brought this up before. I might have brought it up on the uh, depression podcast, but uh, I'm thankful for Kevin's depression. Extremely thankful, and that sounds weird, mm-hmm. but. And it has to do with the whole Providence thing. But honestly, if it hadn't been for Kevin's depression, David and I would have never really connected. That's true. Like there was an event in Kevin's past dealing with his depression that actually brought us together. Right. It was the first time you showed up on my door. And 
and I actually talked to you, and I found out for the first time you didn't think I was going to hell. Which was awesome. And then we just started talking, and one thing led to another, and here we are, what is it, four years later, mm. we've started a church, and we're we're doing Theonauts, and it's all because of, you know, God using Kevin's depression. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. God's pretty good. He is great. <laughs> Amen. It's good stuff. All right, man, you about ready to get it out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do this. <coughs> The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on <clears> iTunes, Stitcher <throat> Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission transmission. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, Stop it! <laughs>